Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. Amen. Good morning. Hands up if you wouldn't want to receive £50. If you wouldn't want to receive £50. Okay, that's good. That's what I was expecting. Who would like to receive £50? Lizzie. Sorry, everybody. She was just the first hand that I saw. You have to come to get it. And I may have got you here under false pretenses, but come anyway. (laughs) In one of my many pockets in these combat trousers, I have £50. Now, Lizzie, you have four choices. You can take this 50 pounds. It's a bit TikTok-y. Somebody can film this and stick it on TikTok. Steve Lake. Oh, no, it's not, it's not like that. You can have this 50 pounds right now and take it. That's fine. That's your prerogative. So you can do that. That's your first choice. You can take this 50 pounds and take the first five pound off and tithe it back to the church and take 45 pounds. That's your second choice. You can take this 50 pounds and give it all to one other person in this congregation, or you can take this 50 pounds and give it to five people or maybe four and a half people and put five pounds in the offering. It's entirely up to you, what's your choice? Yes, right now. now. On the spot, in front of the whole church. I know you wanna keep the 50 pounds. Who wouldn't wanna keep the whole 50 pounds? Obviously, I wanna keep my whole 50 pounds, but I'm gonna give it away. Tithing's basic. Tithing, like, I'm like, yeah. Um, so that's five pound gone. Where's the offering bowl? <laughs> Stewards, offering bowl, please. Thank you. Forty-five pounds. The thing is, I know this girl needs forty-five pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so should, should we just be really kind to her and let her have it? Yeah, yeah. you have it. Thank you. I mean, I would have given it she would have given it away. She tithed. Well done. Brilliant. Did you know that there are 2,350 verses in the Bible addressing money and financial issues? I'm talking about finances. 19 of the 30 parables in the New Testament are set in an economic context. That's almost two-thirds of all of them. So I think it's fair to say that God is really interested in finances and money. So today I'm talking about financial well-being. It's called financial fitness, if you're taking notes. And I'm going to give you my top 10 commandments for wise financial living, okay? Are we good? Are you with me? Let's do it. A woman in between flights and airport went into a lounge and bought a small packet of biscuits and put them in a bag. She sat down and started reading the newspaper, but gradually she became aware of a rustling noise. And peeking out from behind a newspaper, she nearly fell off her chair when she saw a very neatly dressed gentleman, businessman, helping himself to her biscuits. Not wanting to make a scene, she then leaned over and took one herself and ate it in front of him. A minute or two passed, and then there was some more rustling. He was helping himself to another one of her biscuits, so she grabbed another one too. And this went on until they were down to the last biscuit, at which point he picks up the last biscuit, snaps it in half, eats his bit, and pushes hers over to her. And then he gets up and leaves. And she's fuming. Sometime later, her flight gets announced, and she goes into a handbag to take out her ticket, and at the top of her bag, she finds her packet of biscuits. (laughs) So not only had he... 
He'd not been eating her shortbread, she'd been eating his. And how we react to this story depends a lot on who those biscuits really belong to in the first place. Point number one is this, everything that we have belongs to God. Psalm 24 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And that includes our biscuits. In Deuteronomy 8, 17 to 18, God said to the people of Israel, if you start thinking to yourselves, I did all this. I did all this all by myself. I'm rich. It's all mine. Well, think again. Remember that God, your God, gave you the strength to produce all this wealth. The fact is, if it wasn't for God, we wouldn't have anything. So let's share our biscuits. Everything we have is his. My second commandment for wise financial living is this. Use your skill set. You know, I got really jealous in the first lockdown in 2020 because my entire cul-de-sac got furloughed and they would sit out there with their gin at 11 o'clock in the morning. Not that I like gin, but they'd get the barbecues out and Ali and I would be sat at our desks in the heat, in our office, looking out into the cul-de-sac and I was very, very jealous. And that went on for some of them for over half a year. One of our neighbours was furloughed for nine months. Nine months of doing nothing. And you know what? He was bored out of his box. And it hit me that although a few days off in the sun would have been really nice, would have been a bit of a Brucey bonus. In fact, our, our wonderful chair of trustee did, did give us a few days off because we'd worked really hard. But I realised something in that lockdown that I actually love the fact that I get to work. We get to work. We can work. We don't have to sit there bored, not using our skill set. We can use what God has given us and make a difference. And I was just so grateful because my job brings me an awful lot of job satisfaction. And for some of you, it might not. But can you imagine just sat at home all day doing absolutely nothing? The Bible clearly shows us that work is a blessing. Proverbs 22, 29 says, Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. As I mentioned last week when we were looking at vocational well-being, if we're followers of Jesus, whatever we're called to, we do it for him, and we should do it well with a great heart attitude because that is fundamental to financial wisdom. Number three, stay out of debt. Our country is devastated by debt. Our government is devastated by debt. The average total debt per household in the UK at the end of last year was 65,914. Now that includes mortgages, and I would say if you can afford to pay your mortgage, it's not a debt. Some people might disagree with that. Average credit card bill in the UK is 1,100 pounds per person. Proverbs 22:7 says, the poor are always ruled by the rich. So don't borrow and put yourself under their power. David Shearman from the Christian Centre back in the day, he used to say this every Christmas, don't buy anything on credit because it's instant debt. It's not your money. And debt will squeeze the life out of you. It takes away our freedom. It takes away our peace. And it should come with some kind of governmental health warning, hazardous to your mental health, your spiritual health, your emotional health, your physical health. And Ali and I know what it is to live in debt. We've lived in the land of more than enough. We've lived in the land of just enough. And we've lived in the land of not enough. And the latter is not a fun place to live, as I'm sure many of you are aware of and have probably been and maybe even in right now. And sometimes our debts are because of our own careless thoughts. You go out and, be, um, and buy some kind of big purchase and then something happens and you don't have the right amount of money coming back in. And sometimes circumstances change. You know, people get furloughed. Things happen. For us, it was going into the ministry. 
Ali's salary halved when he became a minister. And at the same time, the God, God said to me, give up work. I don't need to go back to school to work until your kids are at school. And so I lost my salary. So we were literally like from two salaries, dinkies, dual income, no kids yet, loaded, buying whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted, to literally half a salary. In the end, we had to sell our, our family house and downsize. But that's okay. And God was in it. But if you're in trouble with debt today, can I encourage you to seek somebody out? You know, as part of our remit with um, Churches Together in West Bridgeford, as churches, we have set up a debt center, CAP, Christians Against Poverty. And there are people out there that want to help you. There will be people in this church that have got a skill set to help you if you're in debt. So please don't suffer in silence. Number four, if you've got kids, teach them the basics of money. Psalm 34 says, come my child and listen closely and I will teach you obedience to the Lord. Here's the reality. A good number of us will have learned about money from our parents. But what have we learned? Have we learned to hoard or to spend stupidly? Or have we learned to give and to bless? My mum and dad taught me about budgeting and the importance of giving. And in turn, when our kids were little, we did exactly the same thing. Our little Chloe, from the age of about three, when she started getting pocket money, when she got 10p, we talked to her about the concept of tithing, which just means to give 10%. So she started giving 10% of her 10p, which is 1p, which is nothing, is it? But it was everything to her, because that was one penny chew she wasn't going to eat. And as her pocket money went up to 20p, she was giving 2p, 50p, 5p. And I think by the time she was 16, she was on like £20 a month. And she had a standing order set up to the church for two quid. And if you start doing that from a young age, it's so much easier to keep doing it as you get older. I remember when I went into the ministry and my, my biggest prayer before the Lord, as many of you probably already know, was I didn't want my kids to struggle because it wasn't their call that we went into the ministry and it shouldn't affect them and impact them. The fact that we just wanted to do what we wanted to do. And I remember telling my mum that I was going to take a year out and not be paid and serve the church. And she said, I'm not going to support you, Kate, financially. Which was a bit of a <clears throat> type moment. But then she said this, but I won't let your kids go without. And in that year, she paid for everything for my children. School uniforms, school trips, out of after clubs, everything that they needed, they got. And the amazing thing is that our little Chloe although she's nearly 23, she's never gone without anything her whole life. And her friends even say to her, how come you always end up on your feet? And she knows why. And we know why. Teach your kids generosity. As parents, we get to model what good financial ownership looks like. We can model credit card abuse, chronic debt, neglect of tithing, neglect of giving and impulse buying, or we can model to our kids wisdom and simplicity and humility and generosity. Number five, stick to some kind of giving plan. Paul writes about this to the church at Corinth. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up. That's what Chloe did. She gave her tithe. She gave 10%. Another plan, which is one that Ali and I are on with at the minute, is the 10-10-80 plan. That is where you give your first 10% to the church. That's the tithe. And Ali and I have always been adamant that we wanted to give, no matter what our income was. When we got together, I was a student, and I was just in part-time work, but whatever we earned, we gave God our first 10%. And it's grounded us, it's centered our marriage. 
We've never, never deviated from it, and God has never let us down. So our first 10% is to the church. The second 10% is 10% into some kind of savings account. Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. That's the wisdom of the Bible around savings. And this is the plan that we're working to right now. And we've had seasons where there was no way that we could afford to save. In fact, we didn't start saving until two years ago. And our kids were pretty much adults at that point. It's hard work to save when you've got children. It's hard work to save full stop. Even worse when you've got kids to support. And you know what? We're not where we want to be. We're not on 10%. We're on two and a half at the moment. And that's only been for two years. But we're getting there, and it's a, it's a step. And we've all got to start somewhere. And I encourage you, if you've got anything left over, put it into a savings account. It's so exciting to see it go up. doesn't mean that you're going to have lots of money and you can do your own thing. God might break in on you. But it's such a great thing to do. So 10% to God's house, 10% to savings. That leaves us with a whopping 80% to do whatever we want with. Now, most of it and all of it, undoubtedly, will be swallowed up in bills at the moment. But the Lord is good, and if you keep giving... Well, it all comes good. I just ask God to help you. How am I going to use the rest of my 80%, Lord? Show me the way. Here's another biblical plan. This is three ways that we can give. We can give voluntarily. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 8 reads, You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. We've already heard that this morning. Gifts should be voluntary. They should be from the heart. And your giving is between you and God. Now, if you've got a mentor in this church, we may say to you, how's your giving? But we're not asking you what you're giving. And we're not telling you you have to give. We just encourage you. And the reason we do that is because when you give, you get blessed. And we don't want to see any of you guys being robbed of the blessing of God. So we give voluntary. And secondly, we give proportionately. You give in proportion to what you have. You just prayerfully consider your financial situation. And just ask God, what are you putting on my heart to give? Like I've said, 10% can be a great place for many of us to start. For some of you, 1% might even be too much. 0.5%. But you've got to start somewhere. I heard the story of a guy who started out making £200 a week. So he figured he could give his 10%. So he was giving £20 a week to the church. As time went by, he moved up the ranks in his company and he started receiving more money. But he continued to faithfully contribute his 10%. And then the man became really successful. And at this point, he was earning two and a half grand a week. And at that point, he started to feel a little bit uneasy about how much he was putting in the offering bowl. Because he thought it was a lot of money. So he went to chat it over with his pastor, hoping that he was going to receive some kind of wise counsel. And he explained his history of giving. And the pastor said, ah, solution's simple. He says, what I'm going to do, because giving 10% is now harder, I'm just going to pray that God will reduce your salary back down to where you were so you can afford to still give you 10%. Because giving is proportionate. And sometimes the more God blesses us, the more challenging proportional giving can become. Because the more money we have, it opens up our world to more opportunities, to more bigger purchases, things that we really want. And the more we get, usually, the more we want. Luke 12, 34 tells us that wherever our treasure is, there the desires of our heart are also. So proportional giving helps us keep a check on the desires of our heart. And then thirdly, there's giving sacrificially. You know, self-sacrifice runs throughout the New Testament. You've only got to look at Jesus to work that out. He laid his life down for us. That's the greatest sacrifice of all. And sometimes our giving will cost us something. 
And two and a half years ago, when we finally started saving, we got our pot up to a four-figure sum, and we were so excited. And then God said, there's somebody in your congregation that needs some money so they can go on holiday. And guess what happened to our little pot of savings? It emptied. Hallelujah. It all went back to zero. But the Bible says, freely you have received, freely give. And I wonder, when was the last time that you guys gave sacrificially? Number six, be content with your lot. We live in a culture that encourages us to borrow and spend. We're actively encouraged to buy the next big thing, the latest technology, the newest fashions. But how about today we just all declare, you know what? No more. I've got enough. As of today, I'm not going to go after that new car or the latest trainers. Looks down at her new pair of trainers. I won't seek to raise my standard of consumption. I'm done keeping up with the Joneses. In fact, I'm going to go around and congratulate them on that new car, on their drive. Where I'm living right now, it's enough. And from now on, if God blesses me with more money, if God gives me a pay rise, I'm going to up my giving, not up my spending and acquiring. If we as a church community were to seriously declare that, that enough is enough, and say, we're going to cap our lifestyles right where they are right now. Can you imagine what we could achieve for the kingdom of God? It's an abs- that would be an absolute deal breaker. Some of us have got more than others. Guys, it's just the way the cookie crumbles. It's life. Accept your lot. Be happy with what you've got. If you've got loads, you're blessed. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to have money. It's what we do with it or what we don't do with it that's right or wrong. 1 Samuel 2, 7 tells us that the Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. Here's a question for you. When was the last time you asked somebody how much they earn? Why don't you just turn to a neighbor now and ask them? I know I'm joking. (laughs) But why not? Why don't we ask people what they earn? We talk about everything. We, we, we talk about what's going wrong in our bodies. We talk about our marriage issues and our personal problems, our health. Why don't we talk about what we earn? I'll tell you why. Because it's no longer just that we need money. It's become a status symbol to have money. And pride can creep in. And some of us are defined by our salaries. Wherever we're at, whatever we're earning, that is our lot. So let's just ask the Lord to help us to be content in any and every situation. Let's never seek security from our money, from our bank balance, from our savings. Let's make our number one pursuit never to love money, but to love the one who gave us it. Number seven, sow your seed. The the word tells us that we reap what we sow. If we sow apple seeds, what are we going to reap? Apples, lots of trees. If we sow cars, what do you think you're going to reap? Cars. We've sown every car we've ever had, and we've reaped cars. It's a spiritual law. You will reap what you sow. You know, when our kids were little, we used to take Sos and Claire away with us because they were nursery nurses at the time. And it meant that if we went on holiday, we could actually get a bit of a break and these two would take the kids off and do stuff. It was wonderful. (laughs) 
We did want you to come. It was great fun, but it was nice to have a break and a night out on the town at Centre Parks. We sewed a lot of holidays when we had money that we could sew holidays with. When we took on this church, our salaries, like I said, dipped a bit, and we couldn't afford a holiday for nine years. What do you think we reaped for nine years? Holidays, because you reap exactly what you sow. But the thing with reaping and sowing is that you can only reap after you sow. The harvest only comes after you've put some seed in the ground, after you've planted. If you've got no seed in the ground, I need to tell you, there ain't no harvest coming because you've got no seed. (laughs) And sowing's a step of faith. And sometimes it's hard to keep giving and sowing because you don't reap straight away. And we live in this culture where we've just become accustomed to getting what we want instantly. But if you hadn't already worked it out, it's not the way that God works. He wants us to learn to exercise our faith when we can't see him at work. And he wants us to learn patience. If our parents always gave us what we wanted, we'd just be spoilt brats. And that's the way that the Lord operates with us. He's not just going to hand things out to us on a plate. Reaping isn't instant. It's not instant when a farmer sows his seed. So why would it be any different for us? But keep sowing. Those holidays that we reaped, we would put out in the diary every single year the same week at the back end of August because as it tipped into September it was the cheapest week of the school holidays to take your kids away and we would book that week every single year by faith believing even though we didn't have any money that God was going to come through for us and our kids would come to us each day and say has anything happened yet is there any money yet are we going away yet so we're going away just might be skeg we just don't know yet but we're going away by faith we're believing that God is going to come through for us And like I said, he came through every time. It was always within about a week of us going. It was hairy, but it was actually really exciting. And I'm so blessed that our children have experienced that because they cannot deny God. They might not be in church right now. But you can't deny God. And Galatians 6, 9 tells us not to become weary in doing good. For in due season, we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. So we reap what we sow, and we reap after we sow. And finally, we reap more than we sow. When a farmer plants one apple or one seed, his return is an entire apple tree full of apples, all containing new seeds that he gets to sow again. When we plant one grain of wheat, we get a whole stalk. And it's the same with our giving to God. If we give with a good heart, if we keep sowing our seed, and if we stay patient, we'll reap a bountiful harvest. And he'll take what we've given and he'll multiply it. Remember that little boy with his five cobs and his two small fish? God took that and fed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And the thing with God is he's not a God of addition. He's a God of multiplication. Those holidays that we sowed before we went into the ministry were always in the UK. And we're always self-catering. But the holidays that we reaped were always abroad in four or five star all-inclusive hotels. Because we reap more than we sow. Because God is a good God. He's an abundant God. And he loves to give good gifts to his children. Anything we don't maintain 
eventually deteriorates. If we don't maintain our giving and our generosity, we're not going to end up with much at all. The key to your next harvest is in your next seed. And if we don't sow that seed, we will not reap. And my encouragement to you is no matter how little it is, it doesn't have to be money, but whatever you sow, sow something and believe for a harvest. Number eight of ten, bless others. I'm always struck by the early church in Acts 2, and I wish we could live this way today as a church. All the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple every day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. Give to others. Bless others. Remember the words of Jesus, whatever you did for the least of these, you did it for me. When was the last time you were generous towards someone else? If you can't even remember, you've got some homework to do. Number nine, be a good steward. Stewardship is a New Testament concept. Everything we have, as we've heard, has been entrusted to us by God. Our gifts and our skills, they come from him, and we are responsible to use them in a way that is pleasing to him. Uh, as an example, our, our children, they, they don't really belong to us. Our children are gifted to us. They're a gift from God. That's biblical. That's what it says. And, and they're entrusted to us for a period of time. And then we have to allow them to leave the nest and trust them back into God's hands. And it's the same with our finances. And a great example of financial stewardship is found in the parable of the three servants in Matthew 25. A man called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Later, we're told that after a long time, the master returned from his trip and asked them to give an account of how they'd used his money. Notice the money was still the man's. He just entrusted it to those servants. They were responsible for stewarding the money, but it wasn't theirs, it was his. And of course, we know that the ones that did some stuff with it got that wonderful recommendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because if you can handle the small amounts, God will give you more to handle. And sometimes we get the idea that we can give and then we can do what we like with the remaining 90%. I'm not convinced that's a good biblical attitude to take because everything we have comes from God. We're responsible for how we use all of it. That doesn't mean we have to donate every penny to charity or every time you see one of those two pound adverts for charity on the telly, you sign up for that one as well. It doesn't mean you have to give to every good cause. It's okay to spend money on yourselves. It's okay to have a good time, have some fun. But let's also make sure we're not using the resources God has entrusted to do us to do anything that might displease him. Because it's his money. And the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And I've definitely not always been wise with what I've had left. In fact, I can be the kind of person who can spend before they receive. Thomas Jefferson once said, never spend your money before you earn it. That's really bad stewardship. And when I was in recruitment, recruitment I worked for this company and they were in need of some new staff and they incentivized us and said if you can find us new employees we'll gift you 500 pounds into your pay packet and I managed to find a friend who was out of work so I knew that 500 pound was coming for me so what did I do I spent it before I got it and what happened I went into work the next day the boss came in and said everybody turn off your computers the company's gone bust 
you need to leave, you won't be getting your pay packet. So not only did I lose my month's pay packet, I was already 500 pound down. Really bad stewardship, not wise. And finally, leave a legacy. Here's the most important piece of financial wisdom you are ever gonna hear. You're gonna die. We are all gonna, unless we get raptured, which is now top of my bucket list, because I've delivered a baby. If we don't get raptured, we're all going to die. You say, well, Kate, what's that got to do with money? Well, I'll tell you. I've sat with a good number of people on their deathbeds and I've never heard anybody say, I wish I'd worked more and I wish I'd earned more money. Because all that matters when you're in that place is relationship. Your relationship with your family and friends and especially that you're right with God before you die. What's important certainly is to me when I'm on my deathbed is knowing that I've been a good steward of my money and my children and other people in our will are going to receive something that we've left behind. And you might sit here and say, well, I haven't got anything to leave. I haven't got a car. I haven't got a house. Well, you've got clothes because you're not naked. And you all live in a house, so you've probably got a cutlery tray and a sofa. We've all got possessions that we can leave to somebody else. And if you don't write a will, the government will come and take everything that you've got. And I don't want the government to have your money. I want your money to go and bless somebody else. When we die, we are going to go into an average sized 165 by 45 centimeter box. That's either going to burn or it's going to decay. And you can't take anything with you. You will not need anything where you're going. But there are people left behind who will need it. And the Bible tells us that a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. When my nan died six years ago, my mum sold her house and she put half of that money into a savings pot for all her grandchildren. Because the one prayer I always had was, how am I gonna get my kids on the property ladder though, Lord? If I go into the ministry, I can't support them. And both my kids have got a pot of money waiting for them for when they wanna buy a house. That's wisdom in stewardship. That is leaving a legacy. And my nan will never know what she's done for my children. Or she will one day because I'll thank her when I see her. Romans 14, 12 says, one day we have to give an account. So can I encourage us to be disciplined with our money? Let's spend less than we earn. Let's not buy what we can't afford. Let's say no to some stuff sometimes that we really want. Let's not make a big purchase without really thinking it about it and praying on it and discussing it with somebody else. Let's be generous and disciplined in our giving. You know, we wouldn't dream of not paying our taxes. We would not dream of not paying our mortgages and our bills. How could we possibly not give back to God when everything that we already have came from Him? I would encourage you that your first thing out when you get paid is something back to God, not your mortgage, not your bills. Give Him what He deserves. Remember? Anything that we don't maintain eventually deteriorates. And nothing more so than our money and our possessions. Amen. Thank you.